Hello, my people. Today's episode of the Miami Real Estate Podcast is brought to you by Octopus Agent, the go-to website and marketing system for real estate agents. Developed by the Montiel Organization, the leading real estate coaching company in South Florida, Octopus Agent provides you with the lead capturing website, email marketing system, content, pre-construction search, and IDX necessary to capture more leads and convert them into buyers and sellers. If you want to increase brand awareness, capture more leads, and convert them into buyers and sellers, go to octopusagentservera.com and receive a 50% discount on your first month. There's no setup fee, no cancellation fee, no contracts. Cancel anytime. Get 50% off the first month at octopusagentservera.com. Again, octopusagentservera.com. Hi, and welcome back to the Miami Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Omar DeWitt, Communications Executive here at Cervera Real Estate, welcoming you back to the launch of Season 2 of the Miami Real Estate Podcast. We're really excited today. We're kicking off the show with two very special guests helping us break down the highly buzzed about and talked about ISG World Report 2019, which just debuted about a week or two ago at Fabulous Brickle City Center. Here for that conversation, we have the, the one and only Craig Studnicki, principal of ISG Miami, or excuse me, ISG World and Alicia Severa La Madrid, managing partner of Severa Real Estate. So, Craig, Alicia, thanks for coming. Thank you, Omar. Thanks Thank for you. having us. Very exciting. Excited and excited to be back. You know, we're dusting off the uh, old podcast mics and uh, getting the show off the ground. So, uh, we couldn't think of a better topic to uh, do that with than breaking down the report. Um, so, I guess to start, Craig, why don't you? Um, fabulous presentation, by the way, a couple weeks ago. We Thanks. had the. Thanks. It was actually a week ago. Was it a week ago? Yeah. Time flies it's away. Amazing. Uh, it's amazing how fast time goes. Yeah. Amazing. So, yeah. one week ago, uh, we had an amazing presentation, uh, which, which you delivered. Um, so, but before we get into the main takeaways and sort of what we like to do best here on the podcast, sort of connecting the dots on, on the data that's out there, before we get into the report, if you could sort of walk us through the history and the origins of the Miami report and sort of how we got to today. Sure, I'll, I'll try to make it as brief as I can, but Alicia and I both had the, the, the same issue in 2008 and 2009. I think I referred to 2008 last Wednesday as our 1929. <laughs> it was an absolute disaster. And there were publications like the New York Times and CNN that picked on Miami and said we had about 10 years of defaulted inventory to sell. Well, I of all of the competitors that I go up against in Miami, there's nobody that I regard more highly than Alicia Severa. She's you. incredibly intelligent. She loves Miami like nobody I, I know. But And despite all of her talents, I know she had the same headwinds I was confronted with. How do you instill a sense of urgency, not just in your sales agents, but also in the buyers? when? Publications like CNN and New York Times are saying what they're saying. We're not that important. <laughs> so, oh my God, what are we going to do? So we simply said to ourselves, this doesn't make any sense because we live here and it just doesn't seem like there's that much out there. Yes, we know there's a lot of, there were a lot of defaults. We know a lot of buyers walked away from 20% deposits left and right because the world was in a really weird place. But 10 years of inventory or some 22,000 units? No way. So we simply went out and we counted building neighborhood by neighborhood building by building the old-fashioned way not we didn't write some algorithm we just literally went out and counted and i would call developers up and i would ask them how many units do you really have and they would really tell me and because we've been here a while you know we can call developers right. and i'll right. answer honestly so i think the i think the first miami report was like four or five pages and we just summarized everything that was really out there there wasn't twenty-two thousand units there were eleven thousand or so 
uh, my sales agents asked us if we could print it in Espanol, which we did as well. And then a year later, they asked us for a follow-up. So the second year, and, and, and by the way, it was amazed because by the second year, 10 years of inventory turned into maybe one year left. It was, wow. everybody was buying like crazy because prices were very low. The South American economies were doing extremely well, particularly Brazil. There was no mortgage financing, but it just didn't matter. They came up here with cash and they bought everything. Right, the dollar was low. Very low. Yeah. The, the exact opposite of what we're dealing, dealing with now. Because right. I think it was back in 08, God, when Standard & Poor's reduced the credit rating of the U.S. from AAA to AA, oh, God, oh, we didn't know where that was going to wind up. But it did lower the value of the dollar. But it, on the other hand, it encouraged South America to come up and buy real estate in the city that they so love. Um, by year two, I was encouraged to do, like, the second edition, because real estate was absorbing. Um, my sales agents were very happy, brokers were very happy, and the buyers that were buying were very happy. I didn't know it would become a thing where we have to, where we're producing this now once a year. Um, but to answer your question, the origin was really, came out of the old cliche, necessity is the mother of invention. I needed to do something to motivate my sales agents. So I thought of the Miami report, because nothing motivates people in my opinion, and I think at least you would agree, like facts, like real information. And that's what we tried to present. Yeah, and it was, it was a, a, an awesome thing because it helped us take control over our own destiny. I think um, other people have access to a lot of data. Ron Sheffield is certainly yes. a guy who is yeah. a true professional with EWM and, and has a lot of access to data, but it's not pre-construction data. Correct. The DD Day did a great job putting together a report, but it was only on part of the city. Mm -hmm. um, and you all really took that uh, bull by the horns and focused in on the the part of the industry that's really the tip of the arrow for not only for us and what we do, but for the city and for the, the catalyst that really makes Miami expand and expand in a healthy fashion. And I think the, the other thing that's great about the report is that um, it's framed in a way that people understand. You know, it's, it's not some hyperbole that nobody knows what anybody's talking about, but rather this is framed in a way that, that people understand it, as the DDA has done as well. Yeah. So that you, you're not talking, you know, something that's planned is a pipe dream. Maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't, but this is what's really happening now and how it's going. And, of course, one of the really great things that the report has done is that it's helped us get a, a little bit of a handle on that future crystal ball because yeah, we yeah. now we have an idea of where absorption is and, and we have hysterical data, which of course is the best indicator of things to come. Yep. So in terms of shedding light on what's really happening and, and sort of giving the data that paints the picture, Craig, what did you find? Well, this year's issue, the main theme was supply shock, right? So walk us through, I guess, what you found to be the biggest takeaway in, in, in this year's report. Um, well, it's funny. If I may, let me tell you, I was on a, my, my children live in New York. They've made, recently made me a grandfather, so I go to New York quite often to visit them as much as I can. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I have three now, two grandsons and a granddaughter. Funny how that happens. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, my daughter works for Compass up in Manhattan. Okay. So now she's a real estate person. So now we get into conversations about New York versus Miami. And I was telling her how, how I'm one of the concerns I have about ISG going into the next decade is developers are running out of supply, and that's my business, and I, I don't know when this thing's going to turn around again. And she said, Dad, that's not true. There's a lot of inventory in Miami. I said, honey, no, that's not true. And so I started walking her through some numbers, and she said, oh, my God, that's shocking. So I'm jet blue on my way back to Fort Lauderdale. I said, you know what, I think I'm going to call it supply shock, because if it's shocking to my little millennial daughter, maybe it'll be shocking to everybody else when they realize what the real facts are. The, I guess the main takeaway, 
as much as people, you know, the realtors that work for Severa or ISG or our other competitors, they're always complaining that they're having a hard time getting South American buyers to make a decision because the dollar is so high. It's been a very aggravating factor. But nobody really looked at how it's affected the developers in Miami and why they've slowed down their plans to build more condos because they can't the way these things are financed. The current business model requires big deposits before the construction, or at least the commitment of a deposit before the construction loan is closed. And that's just not possible in a high dollar environment. And it's really choked the pipeline of future supply. So I guess there were two things I wanted to get across that I finally got across to the folks that work for ISG and related ISG was, you know, we're, we're, we're coming into an era where we've got very, very low developer inventory despite what people are reading. Um, and there's not much in the pipeline coming. So I, I think back on, reflect back on year 2010 and 2011, the buying opportunities that were out right, there 100%. were insane. The, insane. the only regret people have that bought then is they probably wish they bought more. Right. Is the prices were so good. Totally, yeah. And I think we're right back at, in the same spot in 2019. I tried my best to make that point. You're not going to see 2019 again. I think you made the point beautifully, and I love the fact that the room was packed so that, <laughs> that people were really anxious to get the information. And... Um, I, I'm also very proud of the fact that Miami auto-corrected. It didn't yes, take yes. a crash for people to stop feeding that supply chain, you know, more, mm -hmm. more, 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 until all of a sudden we hit a wall. We, we, so this, this speaks to the high IQ of this town. You know, where they like to think well, of us as a, as a beach bum town, but really this is a very high IQ town. Mm -hmm. And so we learned from what happened last time. We adapted a model. So it's a model that protects not only the developers, but the buyers, because everybody's buying in. Yes. Because like I always remind people in the last cycle, the only people that delivered were the developers. The banks walked away, the buyers walked away, the developers finished, finished. their buildings. Mm -hmm. So in this cycle, that no, no one walked away. The developers finished their buildings and the buyers closed because they had so much skin in the game. And yeah, the banks showed up, they didn't show up, but we know what it didn't matter because our buyers were prepared to close cash. So if the banks were there, great, it reinforced it. But if they weren't there, what we saw was closings. I'm sure you saw the same thing I did, where at, at the beginning, if I had 5% uh, mortgages in a building, it was too much. Most of the buyers were closing all cash. Yes. And now towards the end, um, I'm seeing maybe 30 33% mortgages, but still most of the buyers are closing cash. Yes. And defaults, zero. 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 Uh, virtually zero. Maybe virtually one percent. Yeah, maybe one percent. I think one of the points you're, you're you're making, which is which says so much about the maturity of Miami. There's more equity in residential real estate in Miami than ever, right? Right. Absolutely, and probably than in most, if not all, of the uh, major cities in the United States, because this is a cash-based model. Yes. And everywhere else in the United States, people buy with leverage. So that means that we are well more price resistant because people don't have to sell because they're not being strangled by a mortgage. And we have the beautiful scenario where our occupancy continues to be incredibly high. And you remember all the naysayers saying, oh, the rents are going to go down and we're going to have oh, these yeah. gluts and blah, blah, blah. And I kept saying, you know, I'm just not seeing that. You know, I'm just not seeing it. I'm sure that you were That was just a few years it. ago when these yeah. condos were just getting finished, like in 15, 16, and 17. Right. All these investors are going to put the units in the rental market right. and watch rents drop. Right, so uh -uh. watch them go up 4%, which yeah. is what happened in this area, right? The rents yeah. went up 4% in all the central business district, and, uh, and the occupancy is super high, which supports what you're saying. If we don't start building again, we're not going to have enough housing available for the people that want to live here. And 
I, you know, for me, my biggest takeaway from the last cycle, from that time we don't want to remember, <laughs> is that selling things are, is important, but that they're occupied is critical. Yes. Occupancy is key. That's what drives demand, that's what increases prices, and that's what gets the developers to put a shovel back in the mm -hmm. ground. And our occupancy is still incredibly high. Incredibly high. Yeah. Incredibly high. By the way, you just gave the other takeaway, which was if, given how uh, the pipeline of supply is kind of choked at the moment, with the constant demand that we're getting from literally around the world, we're going to hit a point where we're not going to have enough supply to satisfy all different sectors of the market, particularly when you're in the in certain areas like Brickell Avenue and Miami Beach, even out west now, they're starting with the prices and in Doral. You, you know, you did a beautiful job on the population numbers. I don't know if you have them. Yeah, the, we were looking at, I phenomenal. think it's 900 per day, correct, in Florida, is seeing in terms of population growth? That's Yeah, that's and that's, I try to explain it. The way that's measured by the Census Bureau, it's not very complicated. It's births, and then they subtract deaths, then they add people moving in, they subtract people moving out, and that equals X. That's your net population gain. So, I don't. I don't know if I made the point last Wednesday, but that doesn't include second home buyers. Wow. I imagine <laughs> that's just true organic population true that growth are moving that are here. moving here every single day. So when you have when you sell a Mexican family a second home, they're not included. A Brazilian family, a New Yorker that's buying a second home, not included. And by the way, that's at least fifty percent of our market. Well, Those people that yeah. are not included. <laughs> I really. I, when I think about the, the sales I made in May, the month of May, for example, at Brickell City Center. 100% second homes. Right. 100%. No investors, though, by the way. I'm not finding anybody that wants to buy to rent. Mm -hmm. I'm finding people that want to buy to that's, use. Right. So that, that's very interesting. So second homes not, or vacation homes not included. Uh, we're looking at 902 people per day, Florida mm -hmm. population growth, of which 25% is coming to Miami-Dade, 12% coming to Broward, 8% Palm Beach. So very interesting. I think it supports, as you both said, um, the concept, the idea that the supply is is very quickly. Well, and as supply shrinks, if the, assuming demand stays constant, then I just try to tickle people's imaginations. Where do you think prices are going to go? Right. And reach your own conclusion. Whatever conclusion you reach, it's not going to be in red territory. It will be up, 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 because mm -hmm. that's just simple laws of supply and demand. And for those of you that love numbers and want to follow along or um, access the data, we'll have a link to the report in the show notes. You can also find it on, was it ISG World? ISG World. Yes, yeah, so you can download it. And, you know, it's the 2019 Miami Nooker, report. Please use this stuff. I, don't, I have no illusions that everyone's going to sell it the way I present it. But as long as we're selling Miami with the real facts, then we're kind of more or less kind of resetting the compass. Yeah. And that's all I'm hoping that the realtors do. When they're confronted by somebody who said, I read that there's a five-year supply of whatever, of condos or single-family houses in Miami. No, 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 no. That might have been true a couple of years ago, to be fair. Mm -hmm. But it's not true in 2019. And the purpose of this is to just, is, is, is to, you know, take the lid off and right. everyone gets to see what we're, what we're really selling in terms of the amount of inventory. And then from there, we try to reach conclusions of where we think things are going particularly in terms of pricing. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, you're listening to the Miami Real Estate Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or MiamiRealEstatePodcast.com. We're breaking down the 2019 Miami Report by ISG World. Here for that conversation is Craig Studnicki, Principal of ISG World, and Alicia Cervera-La Madrid, Managing Partner of Cervera Real Estate. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's continue. Okay. We, with, um, so, what we're talking about is there's a very limited amount of supply, and if the demand continues, it bodes well for, let's say, all of us in the real estate 
estate community here in, in Miami. But let's put some context, maybe, if you will, for those out there listening that aren't as familiar with in terms of the cycles, uh, sort of where we are now, and then what this projection or trend means for what we could expect in the near future if, if it continues. Well, I think part of what we were trying to explain in this report is, is, is the complexity of this particular market. You have developers actually manipulating velocity, in my opinion, by offering these incentives, discounts on their remaining inventory, or perhaps bonus commissions to real estate brokers to accelerate absorption in a stubbornly high U.S. dollar environment. Now, the reason I find that a bit peculiar is a year from now, they're going to find that they will have succeeded in increasing velocity and winding down with very little inventory in the hopes that they can start the next cycle. So with all of that said, assuming Alicia agrees, I think your 2019 and perhaps bleeding a little bit into next year is the end of this current cycle. That's right. Yeah, I think so. I, I think um, we're all pretty much in agreement it, just by virtue of the fact that the inventory is absolutely being absorbed. Mm -hmm. So um, in the CBD district, we have like 550 units left. That was like four or five months ago. I'm sure that that's in the 400s now and absolutely. dropping quickly. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think it's important to point out also that when people read top line, what they're reading is uh, information on the resale market. And that is a very different yes. market. Yes. So the resale market is is a real thing. It's a fantastic thing, um, and it will it will be around forever. And it, it it turns all the time, right? And so there is a reality that there is a lot of product on the resale market. There's also a reality that when you're delivering, as I just did and you did as well, hundreds of units within mm -hmm. two to three years, because that's how long it takes to build these things they're not going to get absorbed in two or three minutes. Let's face it, we didn't sell them the first time in two or three minutes. They weren't built in two or three minutes. And when the people uh, close on these units, we know that many of them are, as I like to call them, are partners with a developer in the, the journey of building a building. And so they have many, many exit strategies. They resell, mm -hmm. they rent, they use, they do all kinds of things. So. There is a lot of inventory that goes on the market. People test the waters. But what's happened here, and that's why we go back to the fundamentals, absorption and occupancy is key. Mm -hmm. So these units that are counted many times double counted because they're on the market for sale, they're on the market for rent, then they get rented, they get taken off the market. And once they're off the market, they're off the market. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the significance of not having mortgages. Then all of a sudden, these people in South America are getting dollars with a very strong dollar mm -hmm. every month, they're not so interested in selling these properties so anymore. True. That's you know? so true. They settle into their rent roll. They're going, there's nothing wrong with this. And by the way, what am I doing with these dollars? Am I taking them back to Venezuela? I don't think I so. I don't think so. Right? Or Argentina, where the inflation rate's approaching 50%. No. No. So I think that people look at this data, and that's why what you do is so fantastic, because you get up there and you not only present the numbers, but you interpret them. And this is what the numbers mean. Well, I, I try. Because we all know realtors kind of get a little lost in the weeds sometimes, particularly when they're talking to prospective buyers. So we try to make it as crystal clear right. as possible. So I, but for our audience, I want them to understand that it's two very different markets. And they both have parallel lives. So there's a hugely important uh, general real estate resale market, as we call it. And that's always going to be going. And as we look at Miami over the years, you know, the, the line that I always draw, it's not like that. It's like this. 
But ultimately, it moves up with dips, but it moves up. So when the other day they, they interviewed me for Mansions, New York, uh -huh. and they said, well, what is it in a buyer's market? How do you do it? I said, you have to be careful, I said, because the market is tipping in a buyer's favor. But if somebody comes in here and thinks they're stealing our town, they're going to walk away with nothing. And, and if they go in too steep of a discount, they're not going to get the best price because sellers are going to go, you know, go home. <laughs> so To that end, I think I've entertained close to 30 bulk offers at Brickell City Center right? in the I last mean, 12 months. Yeah. I can't buy a, a ham sandwich with the amount of commissions I've made with these conversations. <laughs> I know. Because as Elise is trying to say, they all come in with these unbelievably unrealistic expectations. And no, you're not going to steal Miami. There's just not that much inventory, nor do you have that, that kind of desperation with sellers whatsoever. And you just unveiled another very, very go big golden nugget. A couple of years ago, particularly when the Brazilian economy started to seriously contract, a lot of Brazilians that bought, say, in 2012 or 13, they were truly sincere end users. For example, they were going to use them as second homes. Then something happened down in Brazil. I need to sell. I need to sell. So they put them on the market. And even if they put them on the market at the price they paid, given the spread between the dollar and, as an example, the Brazilian real, yeah. they could still make money. But they weren't selling so fast. So out of frustration, I think, a lot of those folks decided, you know what, let's take it off the for sale market. We'll rent it. At least you just made the point. They're getting rent in U.S. dollars. They're enjoying that income. They still own real estate, which only has the promise to appreciate in value. And that's a whole new mindset that we've, we're experiencing in 2019. Because I, I've noticed, for example, at Brickell City Center, a lot of those sellers or, or folks from South America that shifted their agenda have reshifted it again, and now they're landlords. They're right. no longer sellers of real estate, which is another tightening of the supply, the for sale supply in you know, Miami. One of the phenomena that I'm seeing at Aria that we closed so successfully, you know, it's a big job, oh, right? 647 units. Yes. I'm having buyers come back. We had like uh, 40 units left, so less than 10%, right? right? Come back and say, I want another unit. Go How figure. Nice is that? How nice is that? Because they're very happy with the product. They, the building has leased up incredibly quickly. Of course, the rents have gone up, so sure, they're higher than sure. what they were thinking. And they're coming back, and they say, we want to buy something else. By the way, I need to tell you, you're my biggest competition at Brickell City Center. is already on the bay. There you go. Uh, for sure. <laughs> we we got to keep this going. No, no, you know? exactly. Was, at least she did it to me again. It's really hard to like her. It's really hard. <laughs> I love you, because you keep our city always going in the right direction. It's easy to love you. <laughs> We'll let our audience decide. We'll have links to both properties in the show notes. Okay. You guys can go explore both properties. They're both great. They're both well, amazing. I have to tell you, I use Brickle City Center to sell Aria all the time because those shops and the amenities set oh, and yeah. everything that's going on there is spectacular. It really is pretty so cool. So it, it has been a wonderful addition to our city. Yeah, they, yeah. they, they really did transform West, West Brickle. They yeah. did. Absolutely. And let's uh, touch on appreciation for a second there because one of the things I love when I'm reading through the Miami Report is that there's always these great nuggets, as, as, as you say, of pockets of data on different parts of the Y Miami conversation uh -huh. that you can apply depending on whatever you're talking about. And last year, in terms of appreciation, I think Juan will have to fact check this, but I think I read that in terms of condos uh, built after, was it 1985, uh, appreciation had gone up, I think it was over 220%. In those uh, 25 years, let me help you. Uh, yeah. let me help you. <laughs> Fact <laughs> check right here. You're, 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 you're this close. It, 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 funny little story. I had the darndest time theming last year's Miami report because we always try to make the next one better than the previous one. It's a bit of a challenge, uh, to say the least. And I was so stuck. And then one day, Miley Aguila, yeah, uh, senior VP of residential sales at Squire, she calls me up and said, "I just got a call from Hong Kong, 
and they're asked if you could do a study that shows the appreciation rate of condos over a 25-year period on Brickell Avenue. Ah, there you go. Perfect. I said, son of a gun, I think you just gave me the theme of my next Miami report. Because, like, you, you know, you're always thinking, driving right. the car, you're in the shower, mm -hmm. wherever, you're at a baseball game, and you're still thinking about your business all the time. Everybody does that. I think you nailed it, but I'm not going to just do Miami. I'm going to do from Coconut Grove to Fort Lauderdale. So what we found, I forget, 200 plus percent equaled 9% appreciation per year over the last 25 years for all of it. And that included the dip from 08 and 09. Right. And we disclosed it. This thing was going, like the, the little curve that Alicia just presented. Yeah. It was up, it was up, it was up. When we got to 08, it went, boom, it went crashing yeah. down. And in 09, it kind of hovered down there. But then it slowly went up and up. And then by 2000, I'm going to guess 14, we hit a whole new high. But nevertheless, it averaged out at 9% per year over a 25-year period. So yes, what does that say? It says that Miami, like every other city, is going to have their dips. But Miami, unlike most cities, when it recovers, it's usually the first city to ever recover from right. a real estate recession, and it just seems to have the, the, the longer shelf life, if you will. Long story short, it's a good long-term investment. As I've said, if somebody gave me a stock or a bond, to buy for my grandkids and said, I guarantee this is going to be 9% over the next 25 years, where do I sign? Yeah. Um, no one can give you that kind of a guarantee. But the past is usually a good predictor of what's coming. Yes. And that's why we presented that. So that, anyway, the ideas don't always come from me being on a, a flight from New York to Florida. Yeah. You never know where you're going to get a good idea. You just got to keep your ears wide open. I love it. So once again, we're going through the 2019 Miami report and uh, let's take a quick break for our sponsors and then we'll come back with some other key takeaways. The Miami Real Estate Podcast is brought to you by Octopus Agent, the go-to website and marketing system for real estate agents. Developed by the Montiel Organization, the leading real estate coaching company in South Florida, Octopus Agent provides you with the lead capturing website, email marketing system, content, pre-construction search, and IDX necessary to capture more leads and convert them into buyers and sellers. If you want to increase brand awareness, capture more leads, and convert them into buyers and sellers, go to octopusagentservera.com and receive a 50% discount on your first month. There's no setup fee, no cancellation fee, no contracts. Cancel anytime. Get 50% off the first month at octopusagentservera.com. Again, octopusagentservera.com. Okay, we're back. So let's keep this amazing conversation going. Craig, uh, can you tell us uh, a little bit about where, moving into 2019, where the sort of opportunities lie in and around the city? I have noticed a, a, I'll call it a local migration from the beach to, I'll call it the downtown core. Mm. It's, I think folks that have been living on Miami Beach for the past 20 or 30 years are realizing that there's a there there in downtown now. You can... We put it on the Perez Art Museum, the Frost Science Museum. I don't want to top my, my listing too much, but the Brickell City Center and what they've done That's to one, yeah. revitalize the West Brickell neighborhood. It's it's easy to live in the Brickell area now, just as an example. And Edgewater is coming right along as well. Yeah, we have the best shopping. We've got the best restaurants. The restaurants are nuts. Uh, yes. Amazing. It's now considered a college town. Yes. The, there's a strong business center. The financial district keeps growing. The medical center keeps growing. And we have great transportation. Yes. So, you know, they, you can get out of your car and walk around. It's now a walkable city. And that, isn't that beautiful? Amazing. I mean, the downtown core truly is becoming very pedestrian friendly, yeah. like New York, like London, like Paris, like some of the most famous cities in the world. 
So what I'm noticing is that the New Yorkers, call them tax refugees or whatever, um, they still love the beach because they want the fun and the sun, and the beach is still the beach. It's beautiful. But the livability factor, if that's the right way of putting it, it's coming to the downtown core now. Whether you call it Brickell or downtown Miami or Edgewater, Wynwood, the design district, it's, it's becoming much more livable. At Brickell City Center, for example, I'll tell you, this year I'm having a hard time selling the one-bedrooms, but wow. the twos and threes are selling very, very Isn't well. Isn't that a shift, right? Yeah. yeah, families. Well, we're seeing it, right? We're seeing the strollers, we're seeing the joggers, we're seeing yeah. the, the preschools popping up and all of that. And I think it's also a value proposition. I think when, when you're yes. looking, you know, when we're selling Aston Martin, when people walk into Aston Martin and they think they want to buy the beach and then they look at what they're getting for about half the price and sometimes a third of the price. Right. And, uh, and they're making the buying decision to come and be on the city side. Because they're realizing that if they're really going to spend time here, they may be going to the beach, but they're going to be going out to dinner, shopping, to the theater, to exactly. the games, to the concerts exactly. more often than they're going to be at the beach. And the locals have already figured that out, right. which is why I'm. Does that, I think that's why I'm seeing the migration mm -hmm. from the beach to the urban core. Whoever thought Miami would have an urban core that would be so attractive, but it's happened, and it's happening, and the locals have figured it out more so than the snowbirds. And we're seeing some of it coming also west to east for the people that are living yeah. in some of the oh, suburbs yeah. on the city side because as we've become more urban and the, they're there, as you said, in downtown yeah. is becoming more appealing, people are saying, why am I living 40 minutes away from the action? Exactly. And I'm driving in all the time, and not to mention I'm driving in, there's the gas, there's the hassle, there's the parking, and now I'm paying 20, 40 bucks for the parking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who needs that? You know. So living downtown, if you want to, if you're, if it's on a hot day like today, like I Ubered here from Brickell City Center, mm -hmm. big right. four dollars, but I didn't want to deal with the parking, but I don't have to. Right. And the Ubers around almost anywhere in Brickell right. and downtown, it's there's two minutes. hundreds of them. Yes. Waiting well, to pick you and up. the latest edition and my personal favorite is now these electric scooters. Right. Oh god. You can yeah. basically Uber or lift those from anywhere. <laughs> at least you tried it. Yeah. Yeah. Well yeah. 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 I'm gonna leave that to you, Omar. <laughs> you know, and I would not highly recommend that to you. I don't know. I think it's a lot sexier to see you behind a wheel. Okay. <laughs> you know? I, I'm going to take your advice. Believe me. I think I'm losing some of my coordinations as I'm getting a bit older. <laughs> so the art, culture, education, technology is another booming center, uh, sector, healthcare, sports and recreation. I mean, Miami really has it all. It's a 365 city. And for good reason, we're seeing in another report, the Wealth Report, which you documented in this year's uh, 2019 Miami report. A, a big jump. Miami made a big jump here. Let me read um, a stat here. According to Knight Frank's Wealth Report, Miami is expected to be the fastest growing luxury real estate market in the U.S. and the fifth fastest growing in the world in 2019. I thought that was amazing. I mean, I don't know what you guys think, but tell me sort of about that and what that means for well, us. Well, and trust me, that fell in my lap about three weeks before we went to print. Uh, the, there's a young woman that's worked for me forever. Her name is Athena Rosano. She does all of our research. And so she sends me this by email one night, and I'm looking at this, I'm reading it. And by the way, Knight Frank really is a big report, yeah. so she, she did all the readings, she condensed it down to this. And I actually said, no, I, I, I don't believe you, uh, because I don't see New York and London. Right. And those are the financial capitals of the world, and they will be for as long as we're alive. And so she wrote me back the next morning, she said, no, uh, no, they're there, but London's number 12 and New York is number 15. Whoa. Okay, I took a back seat, and I'm imagining that the brilliant people that prepare the Knight Frank report know a lot more about what's going on, the driving forces that drive the economy and the, and the attractiveness of Miami than even little ISG does with their Miami report. 
So for sure, we're going to publish this in the Miami report just to give it some gravitas. When I tell you the inventory is going down, demand stays constant, you can expect prices to rise. Knight Frank is kind of spiking the football with an analysis like that. Yeah. And, and I think as you look around the world, for both of us that have traveled so much to promote Miami, now we don't need to promote Miami anymore. We go anywhere, and they're asking us about Miami. We're talking about the specifics of the project. The world has changed so much. Isn't it and nice when people ask you where you're from and you say Miami? Exactly. And they, look and they go, oh, like, you know, you're so lucky, you know. <laughs> and everybody's, I'm going to Miami. I just came back from Miami. It's, it's, it's a brand now, right? It's a total brand now. It is an absolute brand now, and it's it's a beautiful thing. And one of the things that we haven't mentioned is also how safe our city is. Yes. You know, yes. Um, as, as you know, I'd like to wear a little bit of jewelry here and there because yeah, I'm a girl, I, and girls like to do and that. your husband gets in trouble a lot is what I assume. Hey, why not? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, and we can do that still here. So mm-hmm. I oftentimes tell people when they're asking me about Miami, I said, listen, the guys get here, and they can drive their Ferraris and their Maseratis and park them anywhere, and they don't have to be bulletproof, which means they can actually go at a certain yeah. speed. And the women can wear our jewelry. We can hang out, and we can do whatever we want. And the kids can ride their bikes and, and walk places. So I think the fact that Miami's such a safe city is, is a miraculously fantastic thing. And we think about that a lot traditionally about South America. Yes. But Europe is is also it's getting a little uneasy. Yes, very you know, much so. I, the last time I was in Paris, I spent a lot of time looking over my shoulder, and when you're in London, you can't help but feel it. Very true. You know, so when, when you walk up to the Champs Elysees in Paris, it's not what it was even ten years ago. Absolutely. So you're not. always looking over your shoulder. And Trafalgar bit. Square, they have all of these things. <clears throat> it, it, it almost feels like Washington, where you have all of these you know public government buildings that are so secure. Except for you're around just normal locations, and and it's so I think that the the security factor uh, in Miami is is an important thing, and of course the security factor in the United States of America is an important is, thing. is big, and I think Americans, what you just said, take it kind of for granted, but the South Americans do not take it for granted. Not they at all. Truly appreciate how incredibly safe it is. I found myself on Saturday night having dinner at Komodo here yeah. on Brickell Avenue. And we, we finished dinner around 1 in the morning, which is very late for me, but nevertheless, it was one of those unique Saturday nights. Sounds like fun. <laughs> I'm on my way to the parking garage to get my car, and the street is packed right. at 1 a.m. Yeah. And that thought hit me. And I ran into a, uh, these guys that bought a condo from me years and years and years ago. I haven't seen them in a while, just by happenstance. Yeah. And we're shooting the breeze Hanging out. at 1, 1.30 in the morning on a Sunday, and looking at all of these people walking on Brickell, and I'm not saying you couldn't ever do that. I'm just saying it, I'm, I'm, I'm amplifying what Alicia just said. This is such a safe place to live. And even I feel it to some extent. If, if my daughter lived or any, or if my grandkids visited me in Brickell, I would have zero concerns. Right. I mean, that's pretty much true about all over Miami. Yeah. But I think the bigger point is the South Americans truly appreciate it. How many wealthy people there who work really hard for their success have to hide their success down in South America for reasons we all understand. Here they get to enjoy it. And for as much as we love to complain about the strength of the dollar, yeah. it, it's, it's great to have a strong dollar. Because at the end of the day, at the beginning and at the middle, as I say, it's part of our um, value proposition mm-hmm. that your money is safe here. Yes. And so the, the currencies may go up a little bit, may go down a little bit, but you're not going to experience, you know, reprinting of money because it's gone down by a thousand percent and we can't. Yeah. So that there's a certain element of tranquility in that mm-hmm. that I think is important. And, and one of the realities in South America is that people adjust. There's sticker shock. 
Yeah. And then it becomes a new normal. And then the new normal yeah. sets in. And I think that's kind of where we where Certainly we are. in some countries. We were talking yeah. about Mexico earlier. And I think Mexico is the new normal. For and sure. then it becomes all about choices. Are you going to keep your dollars or your money in Mexican pesos and hope that the peso gets stronger? Mm-hmm. Or are you going to make a move and, uh, and hope that the American dollar holds its value mm-hmm. and, yeah. and that the real estate here holds its value? So... And by, by the time they do all of that, that 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 math, they still prefer to, to move their money to Miami. It's always safe in Miami. It's always safe in a dollar-denominated asset like real right. estate. Yeah, yeah. It's safe and it's fun, and um, and they love it all the way around, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So speaking of dollars and and math, as we wind down the conversation, let's take a look at the economic landscape. And I think one of the other interesting points here was uh, in terms of. Florida's economy and the largest U.S. economies by state, Florida was at uh, number 17 in the world ranking, right? We were ahead of, uh, if we were a country, we would be ahead of uh, was Ar- it Saudi Arabia, Switzerland, Switzerland Argentina. Argentina. Just to name a few. Just to name <laughs> a few. There's, yeah. more, there's more over there. But uh, So, Craig, you had some thoughts uh, off mic before on what this means in the 17 and sort of our 10-year challenge, if you will. Talk to us. Well, that one, that, that once that kind of got away from me before we sent that, when we sent that to the printer, because I, I, I really don't like putting a stat by itself. It's out of context. So it sounds like we're bragging. So, you know that 10-year challenge that Instagram did yeah. earlier this year? Yes. I want a 10-year challenge on where <laughs> Florida was 10 years ago. Well, today, we're, if we were a country, we're the 17th most important economy in the world. Ten years ago, you were 52. So when I did my presentation last Wednesday, I said, where do you think we're going to be 10 years from now? Right. I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine, but I promise you we're not going to stay at 17. And it's really just another way of letting both the realtors and their clients understand how Florida is clearly growing deep and wide every single day, way past residential real estate. Right. And that's all I'm trying to do is get people to look past real estate for a moment and understand that those kinds of stats supports the underpinning of demand and the attractiveness of what makes this brand that we call Miami, Miami. Yeah. So that's why that stats in there. Yeah, two economic engines. I mean, we, we talk a lot about the airport and the seaport and, of course, now uh, – Virgin Transit. Yeah. Uh, but there's so many Sir other Richard things that Branson. are going. Sir Richard Branson here and, and the financial district, which has been so strong for so many years. Mm-hmm. But it's, it takes a state, and the state is very strong. And uh, and it pulls from different parts of the things. And, and now we have this wonderful migration of Americans that have really discovered what Florida is all about. And we've had the good fortune of having um, strong government that has protected our state and has made it a, a rich um, haven for people that uh, like to not pay more taxes than they need to. Exactly. So yep. when you're here, you get all of the services, mm-hmm. um, and you're getting all of that at a much more reasonable number because things are being managed better. And you get this amazing climate as well. You know, to that point, I, I always, when I'm about ready to finish these Miami Report presentations, I always like to ask how many people in this room were born and raised in Miami. And every single time, it's always a safe question because right. I already know what the answer is. Yeah. Less than 5% of the hands go up. Yeah. So every one of you moved here at some point in time for your own personal reasons. And those 902 people a day that are moving to Florida have the same reasons and they keep coming. And what they're finding, as Alicia just said, living in Florida is pretty nice. You save a lot of money on taxes, yes, but the climate here 
it just makes you feel alive and happier than you do in other right. climates. I grew up in New Jersey, and I can promise you the winter is long and cold, and it gets a little dreary. It, why, like January, you still have a few more months to go before spring shows right. up. Yeah, now all of our infrastructure has caught up because now we have a great education system. Now we have all the arts. Now we have all the restaurants. We have all the shopping. So our wonderful weather and this beautiful and the clean air and yes, the clean, clean water. Big, yes. Yeah, it's huge. Um, has all kind of completed this package. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, we're very blessed that now the Americans um, are coming here, embracing what our city has to offer. And I always like to add that since we all remember arriving here, mm -hmm. I think there isn't a more welcoming city in the world. Oh God. We just roll so out that true. red carpet and, and welcome everybody because, A, we need them because they bring wonderful talent and ideas and resources and all kinds of great stuff, and, B, because do unto others, right? Very true. You know, my, uh, my former partner, Phil Spiegelman, who's, who's now developing multifamily in New Orleans, he always said it's so true that Miami is the, is the nicest place to come home to. You know, think about all those business trips you make in South yeah. America or wherever, or I'm up in New York. In New York, I do a lot of Miami report presentations. When I land in either Miami or Fort Lauderdale International Airport, you walk out the door of that airplane and you feel that bomby air on your face. Yeah. Don't you go, ah, totally. no matter what you went through on your business trip, and no matter how tired you may be, you're just so, so, so happy to be here. Well, I would even add, when before you even get out of the airport and the terminal, when you look out, out the window as you're approaching yeah, right over downtown, just get that that yeah. sort of, you feel know, good. <laughs> that feel good, like, yeah. ah, I'm home. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. true. So final thoughts here, um, Craig, you're a very busy man. Alicia, we got to get you to the airport. You have a vacation to enjoy. Yeah, final like a thoughts. Vacation. <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> I'll take it. Working hard, hard, playing hard. Um, final thoughts for our listeners on the report on Miami, on the future. Um, take us out of the gate. We'll we'll start with you, Craig. Uh, well, I guess. Look, I I, I try to make the point last week. You're not going to see 2019 back again. If you've got a client, speaking to the realtors out there, if you have a client that wants to own a condominium. <laughs> almost anywhere in Miami or Fort Lauderdale, the, you're, you're at the bottom of the curve. The bottom of a curve is called the perigee, and you're there. You're, it's not going to get any better than this. The developers are doing what they can to encourage you to buy now. For the realtors, that's where the big commissions are. Um, that's the good news. The, not so much the bad news, but the concern I have is what happens in 12 to 18 months from now when we realize there's really not much inventory out there, and the current financial models that developers need to satisfy their construction lenders to get these buildings built um, remains stubbornly in place and the dollar remains high, how soon will we be able to see the return of more cranes in the sky building condos, not multifamily? I don't know. What I do know is right now, what a time to buy real estate in Miami. And it worked. it's a win-win for both the brokers as well as the buyers that are moving here. Yeah. So that's my that's my big takeaway. And that's certainly supported by the, the number of units that are occupied. The people are actually living there because it's not just buyers that are coming to, to South Florida and to Miami, it's also tenants that are coming. Yes. So they're, they're going to continue to push this, um, we don't want to call it a crisis, but we certainly are going to call it a sense of urgency yes. to start bringing that, more more inventory into the marketplace. So um, I think the big boys, as I like to call the developers, will figure it out. Mm -hmm. And they'll come up with a model that works because demand does that. Yes. However, even if they wake up and smell the coffee and do that today, we know that there's not going to be product on the market for at least 12 to 24 months. And that's if they're getting it like hitting it on all cylinders mm -hmm. and that it's not going to be delivered. 
as you pointed out very well the other day also. It's not three years to build no, these buildings anymore. anymore because now we're going up 60, 70, 80 stories. You know, at Aston Martin, it's a five-year build. That's so, going to be the average life that's cycle. That's the average. Yeah. So this uh, life cycle gets longer and longer and longer. So it, it is going to create an increase in pricing. Mm-hmm. For sure, we're going to have a shortage in product available for people that want to rent and move in immediately. And I think it's, um, it's, a, it's a great trajectory that Miami's on. And so I, I always tell people, it's always a good time to buy in Miami. Just work with a professional and make sure that you're getting the right advice because you will find the right opportunity. You will. What's the old adage? There's two things that are true about, a, about residential real estate. There's no such thing as a house with too many closets. <laughs> and there's no such thing as a perfect time to buy. Eventually, right. you just got to gotta measure everything that Alicia and I have been trying to share with your audience today. And then just bust a move. And, and I'm so encouraging everybody to do it now. Right. Because by next year, particularly with these low, in this low interest rate environment, next year things are going to change because things always change. And you'll regret not taking the opportunities that are available right now. Right. That's, I, I, we, str- we both strongly believe that. Whether you're buying, you know, uh, Aston Martin, Ariana Bay, Brickell City Center, her listings, my listings, it doesn't matter. Buy something. Right. Buy something. Yeah, don't sit on the sidelines. Get yeah. in the game. Get in the game, folks. You heard it here first. The Miami Real Estate Podcast is back. Craig, thank you so much Thanks for so being much. here. Alicia, amazing co-pilot. I got to have you know, bring you back on here more. Uh, next week, we're back on Tuesday with Katrina Campins kicking off our How to Be a Top Producer series, uh, Real Estate Mogul, $1 billion sold plus, and she's got some great insights for you. And then we're back every Tuesday after that with some more amazing content. Ladies and gentlemen from Miami, where the future is always bright. Thanks for listening. listening we hope you enjoyed the show and we certainly enjoyed making it we hope you will come back we've got some more great content dedicated to informing intriguing and inspiring miami real estate professionals where can you find us we're on the podcast store wherever podcasts are available that's itunes of course we're also on podbean spotify audible TuneIn, stitcher and google play you can even ask alexa about us go ahead and visit cervera.com blog that's where our newsroom is located we've got some more great content there as well market reports and more you can sign up for our newsletter there Connect with us on social at Cervera RE or send us an email, Miami Real Estate Podcast at Cervera.com. We would love to hear from you. So from all of us here in Miami, where the future is always bright. People, Until today's episode of the Miami Real Estate Podcast is brought to you by Octopus Agent, the go-to website and marketing system for real estate agents. Developed by the Montiel Organization, the leading real estate coaching company in South Florida, Octopus Agent provides you with the lead capturing website, email marketing system, content, pre-construction search, and IDX necessary to capture more leads and convert them into buyers and sellers. If you want to increase brand awareness, capture more leads, and convert them into buyers and sellers, go to octopusagentservera.com and receive a 50% discount on your first month. There's no setup fee, no cancellation fee, no contracts. Cancel anytime. Get 50% off the first month at octopusagentservera.com. Again, octopusagentservera.com.